The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. All right, if you have Bibles, go ahead and grab those and open those up to John chapter 18. I know that's your favorite chapter. Today is Palm Sunday. It's the first day of what uh, we Christians call a Holy Week. Uh, Because this is the week, uh, the last week, that we remember Jesus' earthly ministry before uh, he is led to the cross and uh, the resurrection. And so we're starting a a, a little series here called uh, A Journey to the Cross. And so as we journey to the cross, I want to just simply give an invite to you uh, that this Friday we're having a communion service here uh, at 6 o'clock p.m. And it is just simply for that purpose, to remember and reflect and to understand what Jesus did on the cross. And so I hope that you and your family would join us for that. But of course, Sunday after Good Friday comes Resurrection Sunday. And so obviously, we want to invite you back uh, for Easter. This is a journey that I know that uh, many of us have taken, if you've grown up in church or been in church, is is thinking about the cross or thinking about uh, the cross being central to what we believe as Christians. But, But what I understand is that no matter where you are on your journey, whether you're brand new to the faith or, or you're not yet a believer or you, you've maybe grown up in a Christian home and you've been to so many church services you don't even know about, but wherever you are on your spiritual journey, I, I want us to understand that Ho- Holy Week is not, is, is not an obligation, but rather it's an opportunity. Not that we don't reflect on Christ the other uh, 51 weeks of the year, but this week particular we can really begin to focus on what Jesus has done. So I want to invite you among the chaos that is of the world and, and, and that you would not allow this week to just fly by with all the, the goodies and the busyness and the, and the colored eggs. But, but I pray that you would just really reflect on this time of the year. I would invite you to begin to read a passage maybe every day. And and one of the passages that I would recommend that you read every day is found in Isaiah 53. And I want to start our service by reading it together. Every journey begins with movement, whether that's movement uh, physically, whether it's movement emotionally, whether it's movement mentally, there is always movement to a journey. Amen? And so I'm going to ask everyone to just simply stand up right where they are as we read the Word of God. I'm going to read Isaiah 53. There's 11 verses. You can read that every day. I'm sorry, there's 12 verses. You can read it every day. Uh, But we're going to only read eight of them. I'm going to read the white letters, but I want to invite you as the church to read the yellow as they come up on the screen. I'll start in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised 
and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Palm Sunday is the day that we remember that Jesus entered into Jerusalem with his disciples. But, but he wasn't alone because what happens is, is, is multitudes and thousands of people from all the surrounding countries would travel into the city for a celebration called Passover. And this, this was a memorial celebration for the people of Israel, remembering how God liberated his people out of slavery, out of oppression, and out of Egypt. But this deliverance came at a great cost. God would send plagues among uh, the people uh, in Egypt when they were held captive. And through the messenger Moses, Moses would go to Pharaoh and he would say, hey, hey, God desires his people to be set free. You need to let them go. You need to stop oppressing them. You need to bring them out of slavery. And Moses continued to plead with Pharaoh by sending plagues and warnings and words and signs and saying God wants to do this. Until finally the plagues get so bad and the warnings get so bad that God told them that he would send an angel of death. And the angel of death would take the firstborn of every son in every household. However, God loved his people. And so he didn't want his people to be destroyed. He wanted them to be liberated. And so God set another promise of salvation for his people. And the promise was this. If you, my people, would take a spotless lamb. And that you would take that lamb and you would sacrifice that lamb. And you would place the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of your household. That God would promise that he would pass, the angel of death would pass over that home. That's where they get the word Passover. And that people who would cover their doorposts with the blood of the lamb, it would pass over and they would be saved from death. But on this particular Passover festival, as Jesus rides in on the bank, on the back of a donkey colt, Jesus, he comes into the city not simply to celebrate the Passover, but rather to become the Passover lamb himself. Jesus came to take away the sins through his sacrifice. Jesus came to save the people by his blood. And in the word of God, it says that he was despised and rejected. 
that he would bear our griefs, that he would carry our sorrows, that he would be pierced for our transgressions, that he would be crushed for our iniquities, that his wounds would bring healing and the Lord would lay upon Jesus the iniquities of us all. And all of those words are fulfilled on the cross. But today, I wanna look at the events that lead up to the cross. Spoken by the prophet of Isaiah leading up to the cross, verse seven, he says this. He says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, listen to this, like a lamb that is led, everyone say led, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers, silent. And so he opened not his mouth. So not only was the work of Jesus on the cross significant to our faith, he was slaughtered for our sin. It says that he was cut off from the land of the living and he died. But that doesn't come until verse eight. Verse seven says that he was led. There's a journey, there's a road that leads to the cross. And this leading, it says Jesus was oppressed. And what that means is that his enemies continued to stalk him. They watched him. They finally captured him and they tortured him. And not only that, it says that Jesus was afflicted on this journey, on this road, meaning there was humiliation. He was brought low. There was, there was contempt. There was uh, belittling. There was scorn. There was mockery. There was ridicule leading to the cross. Now, how many of you know it's one thing to simply be oppressed and afflicted? innocently accused, knowing that when the truth comes out that you'll walk out of the jail cell. Oh, I'm only here temporarily. But it's another thing to be oppressed and afflicted knowing that you're going to be slaughtered. And Jesus knew it. He knew the cross was definite. Jesus endured it so that the guilty could go free. All of the gospel writers write about it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all write about this week, all write about this journey, all write about how Jesus was led in this direction, but none more than the gospel of John, which we're going to look at today. Out of the 21 chapters of John, nine of those, 40% of his book was actually devoted to the last week of his life. Pretty significant. This leading was fueled by rage toward Jesus. It, it, it's funny to think that even today we celebrate Palm Sunday, but really, lurking in the distance is rage towards Jesus. You realize that. There's rage toward, why would people be so angry with Jesus? Didn't he feed a bunch of people? Didn't he calm storms? Didn't he heal the lame? Didn't he help people walk and see and liberate so many? Why would there be so much hostility toward Jesus? Well, let me tell you, it's because he claimed to be God. That he spoke for God the Father, that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And the religious leaders, they want to get rid of Jesus not because of his healing, not because of his teaching, not because of his authority, not because of his miracles, but because he claims to be one with God. He claims, I am the only way to the Father. He claims, I'm the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He says, I am the only one, I am the sacrificial lamb, that unless you come through me, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is only death that waits for you. Jesus continually reminds them that there is no escape from the wrath of God. 
except through him, that he is the sacrifice. And this infuriates people. Which people? It infuriates everyone who thinks they deserve heaven, while at the same time liberates everyone who knows they don't. Let me say that again. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it infuriates everyone who thinks they deserve heaven, while at the same time liberates everyone who know they don't. It infuriates the religious leaders. They've worked so hard to keep the law. All of their works are trying to, to, to earn their way to God. And Jesus comes and he nullifies their righteousness. And their solution? Let's kill that man. All this talk about he's the only way. All this talk about he's, he's the Messiah. All this talk about he's the Christ. All this talk about he makes himself one with God. And so in John 18, what we see is that the Jews are afraid of Jesus. And Pilate, the governor, he's afraid of the Jews. Yeah, Jesus is afraid of nobody. Let me give you some background. Pilate was the governor of Judea. And he was in charge, really, for keeping the peace among the people. Now, that's hard because you've got religious people and you've got Romans. And so there's got to be some happy medium in between their relationship with each other. And so Pilate was in charge of keeping the peace among Judea. And so Pilate served under Rome. He served under the emperor Tiberius, which is also called Caesar. And so very early in Pilate's appointment, a few years before this point, Pilate learned that there's something that really infuriates the Jewish people. Do you know what it is? False gods. They hate false gods. They will not tolerate false gods. Two times, two times Pilate had brought in images of false gods into Rome. And both times the Jews raised up in a great revolt against it. You can't put that here. You can't have that here. That is a false god. We're going we're gonna to cause chaos. And so it caused such an uprising among the Jews that Pilate actually got called out by Caesar. Caesar came and said, you better keep the peace, Pilate, or I'm going to remove you from office, and I'm going to take your head. You better keep the peace. Let me not hear of any more uprising in Judea. So Caesar doesn't mess around, right? Which is why Pilate is afraid of the Jews, so when it came to worship for Pilate and for Romans, they just think there's hundreds of gods. And those gods have children with human people. And, and when those gods have children with human people, then that's a, that's a demigod, right? You've read some books, some crazy ones. And so what happens is, 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 you know, Rome is just like, well, can't there be multiple gods? And so because they believe that there's hundreds of gods... They think, what's the big deal? But Jesus, in his ministry, constantly proclaims with his words and through his signs that he is God in the flesh, that he is the only way of salvation. And the religious leaders, they hate that about Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. They arrest Jesus. They try Jesus. They put him on trial falsely. And so now, 
They've determined Jesus must die. They hate him. But they lack only one thing. Do you know what that is? Authority. They don't have the authority to put someone to death. And so, what they do is they bring Jesus to Pilate. Look at John 18. We'll pick it up in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas. He's the high priest at the time. To the governor's headquarters, that's Pilate. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could still eat of the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and he said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, well, if this man were not doing evil, we'd have not delivered him over to you. Pilate said to him, what? Take him yourselves. Judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So, get this. They bring Jesus to Pilate. Pilate says, what's the accusation? They say, He's been a bad boy. Doesn't that sound kind of vague? He's, I mean, I mean, what's the accusation? He's doing evil. Oh? He's not doing good. We wouldn't bring someone who was doing good to you, only people who would do bad. And so it's kind of out there. And so Pilate is like, no, nah, you just take him, deal with him yourself. I don't see the point of this. And so finally the Jews decided that they needed a real accusation. Well, if you look in Luke 23, it says that they said, you know what? He's misleading the nation, and, he, and Jesus is forbidding to give tribute to Caesar because he calls himself Christ a king. Because he calls himself a king, that means he's against Caesar. That means, Pilate, you should understand that this is your problem now. Now, can you picture this? Pilate is standing there. Jesus is by his side. The accusation comes. He's making himself a king. And Pilate looks at him and is like, this guy? He looks like a peasant. This guy? You think this guy's going to overthrow Rome? You think this guy is a king? You think this guy is a threat to Caesar? Are you kidding me? No. Get him out of here. Look at verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Hey, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say this to you about me? Pilate answered him, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests, they've delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting 
that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king, but for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Meaning, Jesus is not a threat to Rome. He's actually innocent. But Pilate, put yourself in that situation. Pilate is scared. Why? Because he's supposed to keep the peace. And Pilate had already seen what happens when the Jews get fired up. Chaos, riots, a revolt. It's like a, like a, like a three-year-old in a candy store that you don't give him the candy. He, he, they, they freak out. And so during the Passover, Pilate knows there's thousands and thousands of Jews. They're all in the city. And he wants to appease them or else they're going to have a meltdown. And Caesar will then come and remove Pilate. And to make things worse, the religious leaders, they know it. It's like blackmail at the highest level. They know the power that they have if they, if they start an uprising. They say, Pilate, if you, if you don't do what we want, we're going to cause a disturbance and you're going to get the ax. And so Pilate, even though he finds no guilt in Jesus, he's being blackmailed and he's probably freaking out right now. Pilate's really got two options on his hands. He's got, like, what he could do what is right and let the innocent man go or deal with an uprising. And then Caesar would kill him. So he had an option to do what was right or forsake justice. And on top of that, if Jesus is who he says he is, then Pilate's in real danger of sacrificing even his own soul. Could this man be the son of God? So he has two choices, save his soul or save his neck. Pilate doesn't know what to do with Jesus. So begins the process. What should I do with Jesus, he thinks. Well, verse 31 was plan A. Verse 31 was... You take him, you deal with him, you judge him. But that didn't work. So he needs another plan. Plan B. Herod. What? Luke 23, 7 says, I know what we'll do. This Jesus, he's from Galilee, isn't it? Like Nazareth area. There's a guy over there who's in charge. His name is Herod. Herod's the ruler over that region of Galilee. Pilate says, take him to Herod. Let Herod deal with him. Herod happened to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. How convenient. So they take Jesus to Herod. 
And just like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, Jesus remains silent. He questions him and questions him and questions him and doesn't say a word. Soldiers mock him. They beat him. Until finally Herod says, this guy's not a threat. He's not guilty. Take him back to Pilate. Pilate, we're back. Oh, no. That didn't work. Now, at the knock of the door, you know his stomach kind of drops. He's like, what in the world? His heart is racing. It's either his soul or his neck, and he's scared. And Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. Herod says he's innocent. He knows the whole thing is a plot to kill Jesus. He's got no legal right to execute Jesus. He can't afford another revolt. What am I going to do with Jesus? Uh, I got an idea. Plan C. Look in verse 39. I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom. And the custom is that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They cried out again, oh no, not this man, but Barabbas. Yeah, release Barabbas. He's a robber, accused of insurrection, causing uprisings. He's a murderer. Now follow me, because this is not a bad idea. Pilate's like, okay, how am I going to get out of this? I know. I'm going to give him something. And, and, and to Pilate's credit, because if you remember, a few days before this point, on Palm Sunday, Jesus comes riding in on a donkey, and the crowds are lining the street praising him. Oh, we love Jesus. Let's give him palm branches. Hosanna, Hosanna, let's lay our coats down. Here he comes, praise Jesus. He's like, the people, they love Jesus. I know what I'll do. I'll put Jesus up there with Barabbas, and I'll ask them which one they love the most. Which one do you want me to release? And so Pilate figures, well, if I offer the people Jesus and Barabbas, I think they'll release Jesus. There's no way they're going to let Barabbas go. Surely the people will choose Jesus, but because Barabbas was a robber and a murderer and an insurrectionist, Pilate puts him up there. And the chief priests start leading the crowd. Release Barabbas. Release Barabbas. 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 And just true to form, all of the people just follow suit. You know how influential the crowd is? How easy it is to follow the crowd, follow the trend, follow what's popular. Now, Pilate is really freaking out now. 
You want Barabbas? Not Jesus? You want me to let Barabbas go? Matthew 27, 22. Pilate asked the most profound question. Pilate then looked at the people and said, what then? You want Barabbas? What then? What should I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? You want to know something? That wasn't just a question that Pilate was asking with his lips. It was a question that he was asking in his heart. What am I going to do with Jesus, who's called the Christ? This is the question that every man must face. It is the ultimate decision of your entire life. What do you do with Jesus? You can't escape it. You can try everything you can. Pilate tries everything to do something with Jesus. Pilate tried every single thing to get rid of him. What do you do with Jesus who's called the Christ? I'll tell you what the masses will say. I'll tell you what the world would say. Crucify him. We don't want that man. He says he's the only way. He says that he forgives sin. He says that he's the one that gets to the Father and there's no other way besides. That's so narrow. Crucify that fool. And if I do worship him, I'm going to be behind the scenes. Yet, in the last effort to avoid the situation, Pilate thinks, I got one more plan. I know what I'll do. Maybe, just maybe, if I could beat him enough, maybe if I could torture him enough and mock him enough, and maybe if I could make a public spectacle so that people would see the madness that is the torture, maybe, just, just maybe, they'll think he's not a threat and they'll say, enough. Just let him go. In John 19, verse 1, it says they took him away and flogged him. Some of your translations may say they scourged him. Scourging is a hideous torture. Romans would take a, a stick and wrap it in leather. And out of the end of the stick would be nine leather straps. And at the end of the nine leather straps, they would, they would put bone or metal and they would sharp them, sharp them up in like these, these hooks, like, like, like in a fish hook form. The, the, the torture device is actually called a cat of nine tails. If you imagine a, a cat's claws Nine of them going in to the, someone's back and flesh. And what they would do is they'd take the victim and they would stretch him across a post. And a soldier would whip him 39 times. Because 40 would be cruel. 
and it would rip the flesh off the victim. So much so that the organs would be exposed. The scripture says that he was unrecognizable. It was a total shredding. It was a flogging so horrible that, that soldiers were actually forbidden to, to do it to their own citizens. No matter their crime. This is too severe for Romans. We have to reserve it for those who are not of us. Scripture says he was opposed. He was afflicted as a lamb that's led to the slaughter. You see, his suffering didn't just begin on the cross. It was began as he's led to the cross. Look in chapter 19, verse 2. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Mocking him, they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves. You crucify him. I don't find any guilt in him. The Jews answered him, oh, but we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. He keeps saying he's God. He keeps saying he's the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was what? Even more afraid. Pilate is completely lost. He's already afraid, but now he's panicking. Pilate has seen the character of Jesus. Pilate has heard of the miracles of Jesus. Pilate has heard the teachings of Jesus. And he actually heard a, a warning come from his, his wife in Matthew 27. She says, have nothing to do with that man. I had a dream. This is bad news. This is bad for us. Don't deal with him. And now there's a threat of another revolt. And now... The possibility that maybe he's beaten up the son of God because he heard Jesus make a statement. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, Jesus said, hey, he says he's the son of God. And so now he's even more afraid. Look in verse 9. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where do you come from? <laughs> but Jesus gave him no answer. Listen, he already knows he's from Galilee. He already knows he's from Nazareth. Pilate is not asking Jesus 
where he's from, he's asking him, are you a son of God? Jesus, silent like a sheep before its shearers. In verse 10, so Pilate said to him, you'll not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore he who's delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And from then on, listen, Pilate sought to release him. Pilate was convinced. Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. There it is. You, you let him go? We're going to tell Papa. If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Step. By step leading Jesus to the cross. Pilate knew to tolerate a traitor was the end of his life. Caesar would not permit treason. And so that was the final straw. Pilate chose his neck over his soul. Verse 13, so when Pilate heard those words, he brought Jesus out and sat him on the judgment seat at the place called the stone of payment. And in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king and they cried out, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. The question that falls with each of us this morning is what are you going to do? Are you going to choose your soul or your reputation? You're going to side with the crowd or Pilate? Let me tell you what you cannot do. You cannot pass the buck. You cannot hide your eyes, and you cannot harden your heart. Don't compromise. You cannot run away. And so this Palm Sunday, the question that we start our week with is what will I do with Jesus? One 
possible response will look like this. I want you to check out this video. Your name is cursed. And my name is praise. But it wasn't always this way. The world was waiting for you, the prophesied one. The one Micah predicted in Bethlehem, come. King David named you Lord a thousand years before this day, which is why I find it odd that your name is cursed and my name is praised. You're the image bearer of Isaac following his father. You're the one Isaiah saw as a lamb led to the slaughter. The psalmist called you a stone rejected by the builders and Jeremiah knew you'd be betrayed for 30 coins of silver. So how did you not know that this would be the end? Did you not know your betrayer would be a friend? It's always a surprise who will backstab us. I should know. Because your name is Jesus, and my name is Barabbas. Yes, I'd heard about you. You're that teacher the Pharisees despise. You tell the blind to go in peace right after you open their eyes. You command demons to come out. You heal the crippled and the deaf. The lepers shout your name. You told Lazarus to wake from death. But if you are so powerful, then why are you on that tree? Why am I the criminal on this hillside standing free? Why didn't you speak up? Where was all of heaven's descent? We all know my name was guilty and your name innocent. Those should have been my chance. That should have been my road. Now your name is crucify and my name is let him go. That was my flogging, my beating, my skin. But now your name is death row and my name is forgiven. That was my spit, my ridicule, my gasp, my worry. That was my Via Della Rosa and my burden that you carried. Those were my thorns. That was meant to be my crown. It should have been my blood that was dripping on the ground. Those were my nails, my wrists in wretched perforation. Those were my desperate lungs resisting suffocation. That was my punishment, my wrath, my justice on display. Do you see? My name is death, and your name is pain. Who are you, Jesus? to sacrifice for liars, for cheaters, for the rotten, for thieves, for a good man one might die. But then, why would you die for me? Do you not see my anger, my wickedness and malice? I know your name is Jesus, but do you know my name's Barabbas? 
Are you a friend of Sinners? Why invite me to your table? Do you know I was a murderer? I am Cain. You are Abel. Are you the father known to me? Because I am prodigal. Unworthy, my name is undeserving, but your name must be mercy. I am Gomer, unfaithful, but you still call me bride. I am one who ran away. Your name is Leave the 99. My name is Fatherless, abandoned. Your name is Welcome Home. In a world of dreadful kings, you're the king who left his throne. Do you not see this is a scandal? I doubted, never followed you. You humbled yourself into death, followed through, taking up my cross, brutal and rugged, because your name is love. And my name is God would send his only son to die so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Let me encourage you, friends. If this is just a good story. It's just a, another tale. Then we can sit and we can listen to the story with no consequences at all. If it's just a story, then it doesn't matter. If it's just a story, then we should think about it or enjoy it for our entertainment. It's just a story. We can, we can just pat it on the head and get on with our lives. But if it's more than a story, then you and I are not neutral bystanders. We're not simply eavesdropping on someone else's conversations. We're actually in the same predicament as Pilate asking the question, what do I do with Jesus? We're in the same predicament as the religious leaders who think they're so righteous that they don't need a savior. We're in the same situation as the crowds following on what everyone else will do. 
are actually in the same situation as Barabbas. With Jesus standing by our side. Every one of us has fallen. Every one of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have, everyone has turned to our own way. But on this journey to the cross, the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And as we read the words of Scripture concerning Jesus, we understand that these conversations are not just to be talked about, but we are being spoken to. And we are all guilty before a holy God. And our sin deserves death. But if Jesus truly is the Lamb of God who was led to the slaughter, then what do we do with Jesus? We let his blood cover the doorposts of our hearts. Knowing that Jesus was led to the cross in our place. And he died the death that we deserve to die. And if that's true, we know it is, then our response is to believe, to trust and treasure Jesus as our Lord, to repent and to turn from our sin and to worship him, knowing that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. From the depths of our souls, we say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest who died for me. Let's pray. Jesus, your word tells us that for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross that you were rejected in my place we all deserve to be rejected for our sin we all deserve to be cast out and cast away but you came in our place because you loved us So Jesus, let us not withhold our praise to our great King for all you've done and all that you are. We exalt you. We remember you. We celebrate your work this holy week. In Jesus' name. If you have special prayer, we have prayer partners in the back that would love to pray with you. But this is our time to reflect and start our holy week off with worship, prayer, and reflection and praise. I love you guys.
hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Sing that again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. See how Christ alone. Christ alone, cornerstone, the weak made strong in the Savior's love through the storm. He is Lord, you're the Lord of all. Darkness seems. Darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every eye and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. My anchor holds within.